Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Turned Out of Punk. I'm your host, Damian Abraham. Once again, I'm bringing you a conversation with someone who grew up listening to punk, may or may not still be involved with punk, but had their life changed by the genre in a major way. And today on the show, that's right, pop music icon Tiffany Darwish is here, and we talk about everything from punk to wrestling. More on that in one second, but first... If you want to get in touch with me, hit up the email address, turnedoutapunkpodcast at gmail.com. That is run by my brother and show producer and guest booker extraordinaire, Tristan Abraham, and he will get the message to me. I love you, Tristan. Thank you for all your hard work on this show. Uh, you can find me on Twitter or Instagram at Damien To support the show, tell all your friends about it, let them all know about it, head over to turnedoutapunk.com and grab a t-shirt. Thank you to everyone who does do that or subscribe to it and rate it on the platform that you are listening to this thing on. I have a YouTube channel and on this YouTube channel, I have started making documentaries. The first one is about Zach Blair from Rise Against, former guest of the show, an MVP WWE superstar saving the macho man, Randy Savage from murdering the misfits. So I guess he's technically saving the misfits from macho man, but you know, it works either way. And, uh, I've made a second one examining the secret punk rock history of Jack black. And there's tons of cool stuff in this. I, I take the old episodes of turn out of punk, do more research on the stuff that came up throughout the episode. And anyway, you, you'll see it all on YouTube. The Jack black one, we connect Jack to HG fact. There you go. That's, that's, that's the tagline for that thing. I also play in a band. We're called Fucked Up. Head over to fuckedup.cc and check out all the stuff we have coming out. We have a brand new LP coming out uh, beginning of next year. You can check out some songs and some videos we have up for that and pre-order that thing. I got my vinyl copies in my hands right now. Well, they're technically across the room right now, but they're, they're in my hands, figuratively speaking, but they can be in your hands, literally speaking soon. So head over to fuckedup.cc and check out that band. All right. On to today's show. As I said off the top, pop music icon, Tiffany Darwish is here. Tiffany is someone that changed the landscape of music forever. Uh, her smash, smash hit. I think we're alone now was a chart top and smash hit. And I got to say, I was a unbelievably huge fan of Tiffany back in 1987 and continue to be a fan of Tiffany over the years. She is someone that continues to make music and carve her own path and truly inspirational. Someone who's had a career this long in music and it goes on before the pop breakthrough as we talk about on this show. And she is still doing it. She has an 11th studio album, Shadows, which is just released. You can find out more information over at tiffanytunes.com. That also has upcoming live shows and other ways that you can check out Tiffany's world, Tiff world, Tiff's world, Tiff world as well on there. Um, and yeah, it's a an honor to speak to Tiffany. I'm not going to ramble on anymore. Sit back, relax, and enjoy Tiffany Darwish on Turned Out a Punk. <laughs> Tiffany, thank you so much for coming on the show. You are welcome. Thank you. Well, I, I spared you from this off air, but I'm a huge fan and I have a ton of questions for you because 
you know, I've, I've read a lot of interviews with you. Like I was a big fan as a, as a young person. And then preparing for this interview, I read a ton of, a ton of stuff with you. And I don't know, I just feel there's so much interesting stuff in your career that people always gloss over and they always go back to the same point. So I, okay. I got a lot of questions. So, okay. <laughs> uh, I, gotta start sure, I got off. a lot of coffee. Go Good. for it. Good. I got to start it off the way they all start off, which is Tiffany, how'd you get into punk? Do you remember the first time you ever came across the genre? Oh, uh, I do. I probably was, uh, I don't know, maybe 11. Maybe I want to say 11. And it was uh, just my dad had a construction company. He was a masonry um, and a mason. Mason. I think that's the right word. Mason. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. There you go. Um, I don't know. I don't remember. I was only, what, eight? <laughs> but anyway, he had a job before we went on the Tiffany ride uh, adventures and music was in my blood. And we were doing that. I was just a little girl staying at home and going to school. And um, all the different employees used to come and pick up my dad or vice versa. He had a couple of different trucks and they would all gather at our house. And of course, I remember like early morning, 5.30 in the morning till like sometimes eight at night, they drop them off. But I would hear what they were playing. Uh, and I that's when I started listening to a lot more rock and roll, if you will. I had an older cousin who listened to that. But just listening to what they were blasting, uh, you know, as cassette tapes back then, remember. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And uh, And I think I heard the Sex Pistols for the first time. And that really made an impression on me. That was it. I was off, and off to the races. <laughs> They're my favorite. <laughs> it was fascinating because you're growing up in Los Angeles at such a, such a, like an interesting time for a lot of culture and, and, and especially punk at that time. Like, were you seeing it on the media? Like, was it being portrayed negatively at that time? Because it was such a, a hot button issue, such a tabloid TV fodder thing. Well, as I went to high school, obviously, yes, definitely. We had our punks. Um, you know, and, and it was perceived as negative, of course, but I always thought it was cool. They were nice to me. Um, I, I went through high school, which not too many people, it's a, could be good or bad, but I went through high school, not really being something, if you will, which is kind of hard. I got along with everybody. It was just always that way. If you were cool to me, I was cool back and, and that was it. So I had a lot of different variety of friends um, and you know, I remember one of my dearest friends was Barbie and she was total punk rock. I mean, very hardcore. I learned new bands from her, her whole life, like just all of it. And, uh, and that, that was probably my first friend who was really talking about bands, even outside of the U S mm -hmm. uh, she subscribed to a bunch of magazines at that time. And it was just a whole different community and culture that I knew nothing about until I started traveling overseas and going to places like London and Germany and, you know, other play parts where they had the music and the culture and, you know, what punks really, really are about. So you, you were performing country music at a really young age, right? Like you're performing in like 81 in around Los Angeles. I was performing by the time I was nine. And yes, wow. I did mostly country music at the time and then started doing more like, um, you know, I guess Stevie Nicks. My mom let me put Stevie Nicks into my set. And I could put a little, um, I think, the Eagles. So that was a big progression for me at, at like 12, right before the record deal at 14. And um, we were trying different things because by then I 
I was in high school, I was having other influences and I was liking that music. And I saw myself being like Stevie Nicks in front of a band. And, you know, I loved, I just loved her from the moment that I was, you know, taken in by her music and Fleetwood Mac. I think, you know, the first time I walked into my cousin's bedroom and back then you framed all those vinyls uh, and she had them all on her, her walls. And I just remember going, who is that? Well, that band's cool. And then sneaking to listen to the vinyl, because if I ever scratched it, I wouldn't even be here to talk to you today. Um, oh, I so know. My auntie, she used to let me sneak in there and I had to like have a whole thing while my cousin was at school. Um, but I remember just listening to Fleetwood Mac for the very first time and that was it. I mean, Stevie Nicks just spoke to me from from what she wrote to her voice to her as a person. And that was it. I was collecting magazines and finding articles and anything that I could find about her. Yeah, you really hear her influence on on your more recent records, I find. Well, thank you. I, yeah. I hope that's a good thing. She oh, definitely absolutely. has been a great inspiration to me. And um, over the years we've met and she's always been wonderful. And this last time she asked me about my music, how are you doing and how is your music? And I'm, I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. You know, you always, you're still a fan and that's such encouragement. It's, it was great. Well, absolutely. And I think like, that's one of the things I found fascinating kind of researching for this interview is I'm a, I'm a huge Hoyt uh, Axton fan. I think, I think he's one of the greatest oh, really? vocalists. Oh, he's one of the greatest vocalists of all time. Like you want to talk about proto punk. I think his, uh, I think the pusher, his version, obviously it's his song, the pusher, it just when he's kind of screaming on it and like, I just, and the reality of the lyrics that he's kind of singing to me, that's, yeah. that's street music. Like that's really kind of something that punk rock, I think, you know, is in, in with the arty stuff that's tantamount to it. Well, Hoyt was a rebel. I mean, you know, he's comes from old school and his mom was actually my first manager, May Axton. And he's the one who sent me to Nashville for the very first time. And, uh, and then I got to, again, I was so young, but over the years, I've got to know Hoyt, of course, and then and then more about how he came to be and what he thinks and all his wonderful and how much he applied to, you know, and to the music industry um, and it, it, his history. So, and it was great, I you know, to be with him uh, just even before his mom passed away. So, you know, and before he passed away. So it, mm. He's great. He was really, you know, the beginning of a lot of TIFF. If it wasn't for Hoyt, don't know if I'd be here. He was the first one to let me be on the stage with him at a Palomino Club, actually. And it was a quick one. I was in and out, but I sang Joy to the World with him. And a Delta Dawn, I believe. And that was it. He said, well, when I'm here, you're welcome on the stage. And then he got to know my family. I was doing some demos at the time. He would kind of gear my family a little bit of what to do, what not to do. And then said, you should go to Nashville, meet my mom, who she became my manager. May Maxson became my manager for a couple of years. But it was really hard at that time to find material for a 12-year-old mm -hmm. in mm -hmm. country music. It was, you know, it's all about going to jail at that time or being drunk or breaking up. And it was like, this is, these are not good choices. <laughs> For a 12 year old. Um, so, you know, eventually I, came, I went back to LA. We always lived in LA, but we came back and forth to Nashville so many times. But, um, you know, eventually that's when I started recording. I think we're alone now. And 
all the different things that led me to where I'm at now. But it was it was Hoyt who his heart and seeing something in me. I, I remember he said something to my dad when he heard the demo. He was like, she sounds like she's 30. This is weird. <laughs> uh, you know, and I and I did. I sounded like I was 30 years old and I was eight. Uh, so that was another complexity too. People didn't know what to do with that. Um, well, and I think it just had to had to wait its time. Well, yeah, because like you're saying, it's pre-new country. So it's when country was was roots music and and was uh, you know not to get into conversations about authenticity or anything like that but it, there is like a a realness to it and you're so young to be playing in that scene and i'm fascinated by the la country scene at that time because it is kind of an exodus place for a lot of the punk rockers like obviously x and blood in the saddle and the blasters uh -huh. and, and stuff like would you would you I'm, you're, I'm taking account you're very young but like would you ever play with dwight yoakam or any of that kind of world? oh my gosh i'd love to that would be an honor total big fan yeah that would be awesome um you know i mean meeting so many different people now it's, it's i'm just enjoying i love the different collaborations between the most most like offset people but some of them are the greatest we just work with um an artist out of new zealand uh who's total like like almost death metal, really. <laughs> and you would never think that I'm back there singing backgrounds over his, ah, you know, but I am. And it was just an opportunity. I love that kind of stuff and having our own studio here, you know, um, and having my boyfriend, who's my producer, who's amazing. So, you know, we collaborate on different things and different things come our way. And we're just enjoying making music right now with Shadows, of course, coming out my new album and the highlights of that finally it's coming out so excited about that and that's going to be total you know a, a total great time with a full band next year rocking the stage and we've zhuzhed up the production a little bit so i'm really excited because there's some art involved in this show mm. um from canvases that i can draw on that dry quickly that you know turn to a blank canvas again so you can write like some really cool words on there whatever you're feeling at the time I love that expression. Mm. I could invite fans up there and they could be writing stuff. I mean, any of it um, to, of course, the band is going to be amazing. Uh, Johnny Martin from LA Guns, and Scott Coogan. And, you know, we're going to have a good time again. Pick up where we left off um, from the shadows. Because I, I read back in the day you were hanging out with a lot of the metal bands or a lot of the harder rock bands. And that was kind of where your heart was kind of at different times was like more leading you to kind of more of the harder rock stuff. Well, yes, definitely. I mean, I've been pursuing this since I was like 12. Um, even before the record deal with I think we're low now, I had worked with a producer out of LA and tried some more rock stuff. And I, you know, it was the same thing. Her voice is amazing. She's not 18. Don't know what to do with her. Uh, come back when she's 18. And by then it was, you know, my family was, I sang all the time. I was driving everyone nuts. And it was, you know, it was just meant to be. So we took a different route. But I think, you know, since The Color of Silence, 2000, the album there, that was really the big turn and the big push for me to kind of show what I can do. I mean, I love dance music still. I love all kinds of music and really respect it. And it's definitely ingrained in me um, to make this sauce, if you will. You know, I call it the perfect sauce, which is shadows. It is punk. It's pop. It's retro. It's modern production, 
You know, it's got some great ballads on there that really push me as a vocalist. And as a lyricist, it's my heart. It's all the devastation, all the dirt, all the grit, all the, you know, the failures, if you will, um, to the highlights of my life and my experiences all on a record. So I'm really excited to get it into everybody's hands. Well, it's like that country music you were talking about that was inappropriate for a kid to sing now. Now you're, you're bringing that kind of lyricism to your sound. Yeah, I mean, nothing, you know, as an independent and where we're at now in the music industry, because everything's just like blown apart. There's really no tradition, if you will, anymore. Everything's kind of like free uh, flowing, which could be great. Um, you know, some things as an old schooler, I kind of miss, but that's just me. But I do see the creative part now when you're working records and different avenues that you have uh, before you to really to really work them. So there's no you can kind of be a frontier, if you will, and, and a pioneer in your own right for your new life and how you want to work records and get it out there. So for me, it's going to still be touring uh, some social media stuff and and definitely talking about the record and talking about you know, the, why I wrote these songs and my experiences and more open as a person. Um, Cause I think they go hand in hand right now. We're working on a book. So I'm very much in reflective mode, taking my notes and looking at things throughout my life. And it's weird, you know, later on, you look at it totally different mm-hmm. to some degree, you know, you do what you can with the information you have at the time. And now I look back and it's not like I regret things, but wow, you know, you look at things again, so much different with so much more information or wisdom. And you're like, oh, but all of them led you here. So you can't really be bad about that. (laughs) Well, it's interesting because you said like, you know, there were so many doors that were shut to you music wise, and you end up carving your own lane. Like you kind of invent the pop star in the modern sense of what a pop star is. But then to have that be a jump off point to this career where you've you've never stopped making music and making art and that's hard to do in this business uh, you know if you're anyone and to be able to do that and kind of reinvent yourself like it does take uh, like a level of 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 tenacity and genius and and just i don't know like as someone who's who's tried to do it my own way in this music industry obviously in a very different kind of world than yourself but it's it's I got a lot of respect for what you've done. Yeah, I appreciate that. It does take a lot of tenacity, actually, is a great word. And you're right. I've never stopped making music. I just plugged along, really, because it's what I do and it's my life. Um, And, you know, again, even being a, a lyricist writing songs, I didn't really get with traditional writers or there wasn't a, you know, a producer grooming me. That wasn't even really brought out in me. It was actually kind of like, oh yeah. So I just found my way and that was really musicians, my band. Uh, So once I had, you know, my tribe, if you will, and, and, and kind of learned to trust musicians around me, that was really how I started to grow. And I haven't stopped since. And I do, I mean, sometimes, you know, relationships don't work out. You want to work with certain people who might have a great name, but it's just out there. Uh, And I've done that too. And then, you know, you're making a record or, and it gets all watered down. And I'm like, well, we're back to the beginning again. So I'm going to kill this project. And that happened a lot before Pieces of Me and my current producer and, you know, this current project. I, I just kind of worked on things behind the scenes. And if they weren't right, 
they just, you know, they got put down. Sorry. <laughs> They're in the archives. But um, it, it's taken a while to get here. But every turn, I can't say was so strategic, but it was true. It was right on time for what I was doing. And it was the real me. And it was a commitment to and, and a hope that I would get to the next step. I, I heard you mention before that you worked with, speaking of these collaborations that might not have worked out, uh, Little Richard. What was the experience I, like working with Little Richard? Well, I opened up shows for Little Richard and Jerry Lee Lewis uh, and being backstage and my parents would be there. And again, it'd be like a multi-bill. But being nine, you know, 10 and having these great legends mm -hmm. in the room and watching them interact with their fans and interact with their staff and interact with each other before stage. Um, you know, you learned that they were living again out loud. There wasn't an on and off switch. That's really was the, you know, who they are. And they were very vibrant characters. I remember little Richard playing piano backstage and having me sing. Um, you know, we have pictures of that. My family has pictures of all of that, uh, which are great moments because again, shine, if you, if you're going to do it, do it now. Mm -hmm. And that was kind of my mentality, my mentality. It's always been my mentality. Even when I got the record deal, I got my record deal from going and bombarding, you know, executives when they're at lunch. I mean, literally it was, there wasn't a lot of finesse to it, but that was George. He came from Motown my producer manager at the time and you know shine push the button go sing if you want it you'll get it and um and that's kind of you know what i've done with most of my career i just jump in there well i've also uh i love that record you did back uh on cleopatra records of all various 80s songs and covers like and that's a label that also is deep deep roots in punk rock obviously and puts out mainly yes. punk rock records uh, yeah, they've approached me throughout the years. Really cool. I like a lot of their projects. Um, and if I'm into the songs that they suggest, we do them. Um, you know, I think it's, it's a lot of fun. It's a way to kind of branch out to other, you know, fan base, but do songs that I wouldn't normally do. Um, and then sometimes I circle back around and put them in the shows. So that's always fun. Um, you know, but I mean, yeah, it's, I never know what they're going to send me. And if we can make it happen again, it's just, it's, you know, they're, they're a fun group of people over there. Uh, one of the bands you covered on there was the Smiths on the first one, I think. And is that a band uh, that you were a fan of uh, back in the eighties? I only, uh, was I a fan? Not really. Was I buying records? No, but mm. was I um, aware of them? Yes. Actually, before I started traveling to England, or being more involved in the music industry, I had a best friend and her name was Beth. And she was, again, you know, so devoted and into other types of music from punk to, um, you know, what we would call new wave um, at the time. So she was again, again, getting so many different magazines and reading stuff. And these are bands I didn't know anything about. And she was a huge, you know, Smith fan and, I remember listening to him just after school we were studying and I was like, who's this? And you know, that's, I got a lot of musical education from her actually. And then it was funny because I started traveling and I got the record deal and started traveling and meeting people and come back, you know, coming back from England or places and finding like, 
you know, offshoots of albums or things or just bands she's never heard of or going, you know, back and when you went to the you know, music store, you know, and just finding like cool one-offs and punk music and going, look what I brought you, you know, we'll discover it together. Uh, she was, she was my buddy. She was really cool. When, which I was begged a question I've always wanted to ask you, were you a fan of like the, the, um, what's her name? Sorry. I'm Lena Lovinch cover of, I think we're alone now, or the Rubino's cover of, I think we're alone now that came out, you know, obviously 10 years before. I, well, yeah, I mean, I love all of them. I've heard, I think we're alone now done so many different ways. <laughs> well, you've got the defining version, I think, even more than the original. I, I really don't know if I've heard a bad version of I think we're alone now. I've heard it ska, I've heard it metal, <laughs> I've heard it punk, I've heard it acoustic, I've heard it country. The only thing I haven't heard is spoken word. Now, here we're getting into something. All right. You might have to have a moment. But, um, let's get yeah, Rollins no, on I've the heard phone. It, <laughs> exactly um you know i gosh i i've heard it so many and it and it's always like out of nowhere you know i'll be in a club somewhere and then a band pops up and i'm like this can't be real they, they know i'm in the house but no i follow the song it's it's really funny and i i always get a kick out of it and the best versions are the versions that i find on the road again from a house band somewhere they're just killing it and i'm yeah. loving it and I, they don't even know i'm in the house it's great what did you think of the Weird Al uh, parody? I again, I thought it was great. I'm a huge yeah. fan, so you know that's how you know you made it. Exactly, it Weird Al is 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 giving it some <laughs> some oh, attention. That's way more legitimate than a Grammy or than anything. Like obviously, you've you've won these accolades, but like that is that is canon. Yeah, that, that is like being uh, put in the Rock and Roll Definitely. Hall of Fame. Um, yes, I, I felt pretty pretty special. Yes. <laughs> I could talk to you all day and anytime you want to come back on this thing, you're always welcome. But before you go, can I ask you a couple more questions? Sure. Uh, one thing I've also, because I'm a huge professional wrestling fan, I made documentaries about it. I got to ask you, what was your experience on Hulk Hogan's uh, celebrity championship wrestling like in the ring with, with Butterbean, who has a, a reputation for knocking people out? It was, fantastic it was great um i you know it, i had a great time my dad was beaming because you know the history of my stepfather and i we didn't get on at all we were constantly fighting and it's funny because he's the one who helped me with my career eventually and then you know later on we actually became friends but even then it was turbulent you know we were we were doing our thing going to shows but you know, we were still having some arguments behind the scenes, but we never argued when we went and saw wrestling. And that was the one thing that I really enjoyed as a family. And he would take us to uh, what was a staple center, I believe, at that time. And uh, we would go to wrestling, Rowdy Roddy Piper, on and on and on. And there was no complaints. We got on like a bunch of chums. And, uh, and that was the one cool thing that he exposed me to. So when I had the chance to do the Hulk Hogan wrestling, of course, I, I brought him down and he was like so excited. He didn't get to meet too many people at that time, but he was impressed that Dennis Rodman was on the show with me, uh, <laughs> which Dennis has always been really cool. So yeah, it was a, it was a great show to be a part of. It's a, it's quite the cast of characters that you're, you're in there with. Yeah. And I mean, they really did show us how to jump off the ropes. I mean, you know, you do it wrong and you feel it. It is mm -hmm. not a joke. 
Mm-hmm. And a couple of times I did it wrong. <laughs> and I was like, holy shit. Like, <laughs> you know, you can knock yourself out. I mean, you really can. So it's an art. It's a sport. It's a talent. It takes a lot of devotion to learn all those moves and do them right and all of that. Uh, and it's a lot of fun. But like you're saying, it does serve a a cathartic role in cultures. Like I went around the world making this documentary and everywhere you go, wrestling is there. And it's the same sort of thing it's doing for people, which I guess goes back to watching gladiators at, on some level for people where you need to kind of see that and, and have that story play out in the ring. And it's better than boxing because you can control it. Well, I think there was something about wrestling, although it is real. Like I said, it's an art and it's, a, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a, a talent um, and it's valid. But it was also the showmanship behind mm-hmm. it. You know, the characters, all of that. There's something that you don't get in boxing. Obviously, it's a show as well. And I loved that. I loved that they came out and they, you know, talk their talk and they do the big buildup and the music's going and the lights and you're like, ah, you know, because it's a lot of fun to go there in person and to be part of, you know, to see and be part of a wrestling match and to be in the audience. Uh, And I guess the last thing I would love to ask you before you go is I've always heard a rumor about some of the new kids on the block being into punk and maybe even playing in a punk band. Jordan played in a band called Miracle Boys with the drummer of Warzone, who might have been their really? touring. Yeah, and he might have been their touring drummer of the new kids when they were opening for you on that tour. I was just wondering if that ever came up with any of them on tour or anything. Well, the new kids didn't have a band when they were on, oh, with, okay. on tour with me. Okay. So probably not. I didn't know this about Jordan, uh, but I can't imagine that he didn't he's very talented and i know that from hanging out with the guys even in the early 80s when we were on tour their love for music and their respect for musicians and their influences were just like me very diverse um and then we were lucky enough to obviously you know become famous and then start to meet other people and live those dreams so I will have to have this conversation with Mr. Jordan uh, because, you know, I know that he's, he's always loved stylistics is what I remember him actually singing the most. Um, oh, and okay. he's got yeah. the voice. Yeah. He's got the voice for it. So, but I will have another fluid conversation. Uh, you know, after the tour, it's nice. We're all still in contact and, you know, we kind of see each other along the way here and there, but you know, it's nice. We have Facebook and we have other socials to say, Hey, how you doing? Keep up with everybody and not in this big gap, you know, for a while. It was like everybody had disappeared for a minute and it was, you know, now we came back after the tour and it's great to have that family back for sure. Well, it's amazing. Yeah. You grew up together and here you are still friends and it's uh, something powerful about that. It's really cool. I mean, again, to see everybody go on and do acting and, you know, run companies and just grow and be, you know, be the men that they are and, um, see them happy. I mean, that's, it's awesome. They're my buddies. Well, anytime you want to come back on here and talk about music, you know, Tiffany, the door is always open. Well, I appreciate it. Thank you for a great interview. Thank you for your time. Thank you, Tiffany, for coming on the show. And you heard right there, Tiffany will be back at some point in the future to talk more music, wrestling, whatever she wants to talk about. Uh, that is great. Once again, check out Shadows, available right now over at tiffanytunes.com. 
and also some tour dates and what not. All right. Well, next uh, week is, is kind of, the, I guess, part, like a holiday week, kind of. Um, and so I got to give you a present. And what better present to offer you than by having one of the greatest front people from the city of Toronto ever. From the legendary Deadly Snakes. Also from the movie The Hulk and tons of Lars and the Real Girl. We talk about this stuff on the show. You'll hear all about his film resume as well. Max McCabe Locus is here on the show. And, oh, this is a fun one. I am as excited for you to hear it as I was to finally get to record it. Max is the one I'm, I'm a huge fan of. Anyway, you'll hear all about it next week. That is it for me. Remember, as always, Black Lives Matter. The lives and issues of Indigenous peoples all over the world matter. We need to protect trans kids and help trans people protect themselves and their rights and stop hate and violence towards people of different races and different faiths and just knock all that shit out because we're, we're talking about human rights issues here. These aren't political issues. These are just basic human rights things. To that, I will also add, and as many people do, we need to protect people's rights to choose what they want to do with the reproductive systems and... If there's organizations that are doing positive work in this world that you believe in, get involved. Offer your time. If you have money, maybe they need financial support. I don't know. Just help affect the change you want to see in this world. Speaking of changing things, make your own culture. Anyone can do this. Let me clear my throat. Uh, Anyone can do this. You can start a band, start a fanzine, start a podcast. It literally is a culture punk that involves participation from anyone and you don't need permission in punk. You have permission just by being a fan of it. So go and do something. Speaking of doing something, try meditating. I didn't believe in it. And now I do. And look at me. I'm just, (laughs) don't let me be, don't look at me on this one, but look at other people that practice meditation and are much more diligent with it and have found uh, great results with it. I'm finding good results with it and I am not diligent with it. So If you're more diligent than me, maybe you will also find great results with it. It's worth a try. Speaking of things being worth a try, sign your organ donor cards because by the time they come looking for those organs, you don't need them. They just go through your body and they, it's just dead weight. They just give it to someone else. And I, and I have seen it perform miracles in front of my eyes. So maybe it will for you too, or or maybe it won't for you because you'll be dead, but maybe it will for somebody else. Didn't mean to laugh at you dying. I'm sorry you died. Well, that is it. Thank you everyone for listening and I will see you on the next episode.